Welcome to Financial Fireside, the financial planning podcast for everyday financial planning. I'm Patrick Payne. And I'm Leo Diosado. We became best friends while studying for our PhDs together, and now we're finance professors and certified financial planners. Listen in as we debate basic concepts of financial planning, and as only those who have spent way too much time of their lives studying money can. Welcome to episode three. It's officially tax day this week. So we thought we'd do a tax season special episode. And uh, Leo, you called this episode, is it tax day yet? And why did you pick that name? Due to the current state of affairs that we're in, we look for things that provide a certainty. And one of the things that has always been certain has been death and taxes. And for this year, tax day was moved for us. Instead of it being on April 15th, the administration decided to give us an extension all the way up to July the 15th. So it creates even more uncertainty. And for some of us, the question is, is it tax day yet? We can't even be certain about taxes anymore. What The world has truly gone crazy. It really has. There's a lot of uncertainty. And the one thing that we could rely on is no longer certain. So Patrick, what makes someone have to pay more taxes? The income tax system in the United States is what we call a progressive tax system. And what that means is not that it's uh, politically progressive. It doesn't mean it's a a left-leaning. It's not a Democrat thing or anything Republican. It has nothing to do with politics. What it means is that the more income you have, the more taxes you pay. So the higher your income, you pay progressively higher tax rates the more income that you have. And so what makes someone have to pay more taxes? The short answer is they have higher income. Now, there are ways you can reduce that. You can claim some tax deductions. You can claim tax credits. You can claim tax deductions. And those will reduce the total amount that you have to pay. But that's uh, generally how it works. So, Patrick, what are these deductibles and credits? And and how does someone like me go out and get them? Are they just low-hanging fruit? Or how do I get some of these credits that everybody talks about? Hmm. Unfortunately, there's no deduction tree, although that would be nice. Uh, so let me start with deductions. Okay, A deduction is a reduction of the amount of income that you earn. So there are certain expenses that if you pay them, the IRS lets you not count the income that you use to pay for those expenses as income. A good example is uh, the interest on your primary mortgage, right? You own your own house, you have a mortgage on it, and you pay interest as part of that loan. The interest that you pay is deductible, meaning that dollar amount, as far as the IRS is concerned, does not exist, doesn't count as income. And so it's as if you earned less money than you actually did. So a deduction reduces how much of your income the IRS is going to tax you on. Now that can save you money, but it will always save you less money than you paid to get it. Let's say your tax rate is 20% and you have a $100 deduction. You have to pay $100 to get that deduction and like $100 in mortgage interest. You have to pay that. That will save you only $20 in taxes. So a deduction doesn't save you more than it costs you. But what you do is if you already are making these expenses, you're contributing to an IRA, you're contributing to an HSA, or you're doing any of these other, you're contributing money to charity, Okay, you're doing any of these deductible things already, you may as well claim the deduction so you can reduce how much taxes you pay. Now, in contrast, a credit reduces how much taxes you have to pay because you've done something in particular. So for example, you can get tax credits for going to school. It's their way of trying to help make it a little bit more affordable for people to go to school. Uh, Sometimes you can get tax credits for things like uh, adopting a child or 
installing solar panels on your home. Okay? And the types of credits change almost every year, but a credit is much more valuable than a deduction because a credit saves you its full amount. So if you have a $100 credit, it's going to save you $100 straight out on your taxes. And that's, and that's really good. So why then do we get tax refunds? If you've ever looked at your paycheck, you notice there's a big number at the top, a bunch of numbers in the middle, and a smaller one at the bottom. And that small number at the bottom is the one that actually gets deposited to your checking account. Those numbers in the middle are called withholdings. What we do when we start a new job is we fill out a form called a W-4. And that's used to estimate how much taxes we're going to have to pay for the year. It's just a guess, just an estimate. Then in the spring, when we file taxes, we actually calculate precisely how much taxes we owe. And then we compare. And if we paid more taxes than we needed to pay, if we had more taxes withheld from our paycheck than we actually owed, then we get a tax refund. If we paid less taxes throughout the year than we actually wound up owing, then we need to send the IRS a check in tax season. And that's why we have tax season, why we file taxes. So Leo, I have a question for you. Everyone loves a tax refund, free money in their pocket. What do you think? Do you love tax refunds? Do you like getting a big tax refund? Well, who doesn't like getting a a huge tax refund? The problem with that is assuming that you didn't take advantage of any credits and that it's literally a refund of the excess tax that you paid, either because you made a mistake within your withholdings, you miscalculated and you actually overpaid. Then the answer is no, I, I do not like getting a tax refund because that means I let Uncle Sam use my money. I did not get compensated for the use of my funds. I essentially have let the U.S. government hold my money without giving me any type of reward for having access to it for the whole year. So the short of the answer is no, uh, I do not like getting tax refunds. The only time I thoroughly enjoy getting a tax refund is when that refund is derived from a credit, like you mentioned earlier. If you're going to lend the IRS some money, you may as well earn a little interest on it. Oh, absolutely. Because the problem too, and this is another thing that most people don't haven't taken into account is they do charge you penalties if you underpay. So you really want to walk, walk that fine line of understanding how much you owe. And it's typically better to overpay a little bit versus underpaying a lot because then they will come back and penalize you. So the essence is it's you want to kind of keep track of this throughout the year and make sure that one, you don't issue an overloan because they will not actually pay you anything back. And two, if you underpay, there is penalties associated with not paying what is due in taxes throughout the year, whether you get paid monthly, weekly, or or semi-weekly. I mean, you really want to understand how much you have to pay back. Now, one of the questions I hear a lot about taxes is the difference between an itemized deduction and standard deduction. Okay. And so when you say like itemizing is expensive and take the standard deduction, what does that mean? Well, that means that when you're filling your taxes, it gives you the option of either saying the IRS gives you this number that says, look, this is what we believe you should be able to take versus the atomization. And what that means is you would have to actually go back and be able to prove through records that you incurred these very specific costs, both in the charitable donations, right? So you can't just say, well, I donated $2,000 to a local organization. Well, for tax purposes, you need to have records of this. You need to be able to document when was this made? What type of organization received this? When it comes to the big one that everyone always likes to talk about, which is your mortgage interest deduction, well, it's not the fact that your mortgage was $1,000 a year 
I'm set thousand dollars a month and you paid twelve thousand dollars. Well, that was the total both of interest and principal. The IRS is more concerned with you identifying the portion of that payment that was directly associated with interest. And again, that comes at a cost. Most of your lending institutions will send you these records, but what you're gonna find out is that on average, most Americans don't pay that much. And they don't gift a lot of money to charitable donations at those lower tax brackets. So the cost of actually going out and keeping records and itemizing everything, it really doesn't provide that big of a benefit when the standard deduction is so high. To help us get a little extra insight into income taxes, I called up an expert. So I've got on the phone here, Paul Talbot. He's been a certified public accountant for a long time. He's filed probably thousands of tax returns. Paul, thanks for coming on. I'm glad to be here. So, Paul, can you tell us, like, what does it mean to itemize expenses and how is a standard deduction different from uh, from itemizing? Uh, certainly. Uh, when you itemize your deductions, uh, you will take s- such items such as state and local taxes. That would be property taxes, state and local taxes, possibly sales taxes. Uh, it would mean a mortgage interest. It would include charitable contributions and medical expenses if they're more than 10% of your income. Now, most of your audience will probably use the standard deduction because the standard deduction is 12200 So you would have to have charitable contributions, uh, mortgage interest, property taxes, and state taxes above that amount. And so unless you own a home, most people aren't going to have uh, enough to itemize their deductions. Okay, so if I don't have lots of those types of expenses, then I should probably just take the standard deduction, right? Uh, yes, because you're better off that way. So it, it makes your taxes easier, plus you're, you receive the 12200 deduction regardless of whatever you have. Do you have any tips for like how college students could reduce their tax burden? Uh, yes, I do. I think the, the first thing you need to do as a college student, is talk to your parents uh, and make sure that uh, you you maximize the benefit by uh, deciding where the dependency comes in. Should they take the dependency for you or should you take it? Now, the second tip, and this is a big one, is the uh, education credits that are available. There are two credits. The first one is the American Opportunity Credit. And what it allows you to do is to take a tax credit, which is, a, is better than a tax deduction, of up to $2,500. So if your college expenses are in excess of, say, $3,000, you can get a good size credit, uh, possibly. Uh, the second one is after four years of college, or if you're not going full-time, possibly, is uh, called the Lifetime Learning Credit. And it's also and a fantastic credit. Uh, You want to make sure you take advantage of those. One tip that most people don't know is that scholarships and and Pell Grants are are typically non-taxable. However, your situation may be that you are better off to claim the Pell Grant or the scholarship as taxable income and take a larger credit. I actually prepared a tax return for a college student yesterday where it meant the difference of a couple hundred dollars. So we all could use an extra $200. Yeah, definitely. 
So that sounds like something you might need a professional's help with. Are there other times or other situations where you recommend someone hire a pro or are there times where it's good to do it yourself? How do you know if you should do it yourself or if you should hire someone to help you? Yeah, and that's the age-old question. And, and you know, that's been around for a long time. Um, uh, I started out in, in accounting and taxes back when the personal computer was just coming out. And a lot of, a lot of people uh, were predicting that, you know, people like tax prayers would just go away. Uh, so I'm still hanging in there. <laughs> what I would say is that if you have like a W-2 and nothing much else, then you can probably file your own tax return. If you have a side job, maybe you're, you are selling things on eBay as a business or on Amazon or other e-commerce sites, uh, and you're making you know a decent amount of money, you would probably want to talk to a tax pro in order to make good decisions and, and take all the tax deductions that you are allowed as a business. The other one would be if you have you know uh, life-changing events like a divorce, marriage, child, those types of things, those can use the, you can use a tax professional in those situations. So for college students, those would be the situations I'd probably say may apply to you. Are tax professionals expensive? Will it cost a lot of money if we go to hire someone to do that for me? Yeah, some are, some can be very expensive, but most are fairly reasonable. You know, I mean, there's quite a bit of competition out there from you know, national change and so forth that, that keep things down. So you probably want to ask around and, and kind of get a sense of how much a professional would want to charge. You know, professionals would most likely be a CPAs and, and that type of uh, professionals. And, and they probably tend to be a little more expensive than than a national chain. But, you know, they're, they're professionals and they're good. When should we file? Like, is there, should I file right away as soon as I can in January or February? Or is there a good reason to wait? until later in the year, wait until maybe April 14th to file my taxes? Well, a couple of things. First of all, most most tax professionals will not be as nice on a bill uh, when you come in on April 14th. Uh, you'll probably pay full freight. The other reasons would be identity theft. You've heard of a lot of identity theft, and a lot of people get their, their tax ID stolen, and then when they go to file their taxes, they can't, and then you've got a real, real mess. So that are used for filing your tax returns as soon as you possibly can. If you're getting a refund, then why are you waiting? Because you're just making your refund wait longer. So if you are if you think you might be getting a refund, get it done early. Get it done in January. This year, there's another reason, and that's uh, with this stimulus payment. Uh, it may be that you're in a different situation than you were last year, and the stimulus payment may be larger if you file now. Now, there are situations when you have higher income, and that's not usually a college student, that it, it makes sense to actually wait to file your taxes and, and have the stimulus payment come out of your on your on based on your 2018 taxes. So if a person is going to owe taxes, is that better to wait? Can they wait and defer how long they have to pay the tax bill? When you e-file your tax return, you do not need to send the, the payments in until the actual deadline. So I have a number of clients who will file their tax return and then they will pay the taxes and some of them the last possible moment they'll pay their tax. Okay, so it doesn't sound like there's really a very good reason to to wait to file. Uh, maybe there's some circumstances, but 99% of the time you're probably just better off to, to file as soon as you can. So Patrick, 
what do you think people should do with their tax returns if they are My able to get one? My advice all times is to use that tax return to stock up your emergency fund. Make sure you have at least a couple of months worth of living expenses on hand, ready to use, so that when you, if the worst happens, like say, I don't know, a global pandemic, uh, you can keep the bills paid, keep the roof over your head, keep groceries on the table, right? Make sure that's topped up at least two months. I prefer four to five personally. Make sure that's topped up. And that's true in normal times as well as crisis times like we have right now with COVID-19. The only possible exception is if you have a high interest credit card that you could pay off with your tax return. If you want to do that and you're emerg- you have a little bit of an emergency fund, then that might be good. I would say though that after you've, if your emergency fund is topped up and you don't have any high interest rate credit cards to pay off, then what I would do is I would save my tax return in a Roth IRA. Wait, hold on. Are yeah, Roth IRA? I would advocate for a traditional. No way. Fund. Roth is way better. No, no, no. If you do the math, now again, work for me through this scenario. If you're in a lower tax bracket and you're able to save that $6,000, it creates an immediate refund of excess taxes that you've paid. And depending on how low of a bracket you're in or how much you've paid in taxes, it could be a significant amount, anywhere from $300 all the way up to $1,000 that you could then invest in a brokerage account and double whammy. Instead of only investing the $6,000 in the traditional, you can take the excess that was paid in taxes and contribute towards a brokerage account and put more money to work for you sooner rather than later. Well, yeah, traditional lets you put more money to work sooner rather than later, but you have to pay taxes on every bit of it when you pull it out. And if part of your savings is in a taxable brokerage account, then you have to pay taxes every single year on the growth. And so it's not going to be nearly as valuable. So even if you do that, because we're in a low tax rate situation right now, Historically speaking, the tax rates the IRS has out right now are among the lowest we've ever, ever had. And if you're, say, a college student or you're early in your life, you're, you're in a relatively low income part, uh, a low income phase of your life, then your tax rate is low right now. And so you should pay taxes now with the Roth when the rate is low. And then when you retire and you have a lot more money and you're, you know, you want to make withdraw lots of money to go on worldwide cruises and lavish gifts on the grandkids and things like that, you can do that and you don't have to worry about the taxes and you won't have to pay a high tax rate uh, in the future because it's almost certainly going to be higher in the future. It can only go up. Oh, absolutely. But I think one of the advantages of going with the brokerage account on top of the traditional IRA is that that growth will only be taxed when transactions occur within the account. So for example, were you to buy a low cost ETF and only add shares throughout the the years that you had it open, the only taxable event that would occur within that brokerage account would be any dividends that were paid out, which would be taxed at that dividend rate. As far as the actual taxation of the growth, the only time you would experience that taxation would be if you conducted transactions within the brokerage account. Even if, if you sit down and you do the math and you ignore taxes entirely for the brokerage account, and you have the same tax rate on the IRA and brokerage account for withdrawals that you do on your contributions for the Roth IRA, if you do the math, it comes out exactly the same. So which one is better depends on relative tax rates. If tax rates are high now, then you should do the traditional and get the deduction when you have high tax rates. But if they're higher in the future, or you expect that they will be, then the Roth always comes out better. It's just that's how the math works out. But there could also be like, Uh, psychological benefits too. So a Roth IRA 
when you look at your balance, you know that's how much money you have. You don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, we're going to get a new president who's going to raise taxes. What's what's going to happen in the economy, right? You don't have to worry about what tax rates will be. You don't have to worry about if I would draw $100,000 and then they pull out taxes, I don't know how much I'm left with. But the traditional, you have to adjust in your brain for the taxes. And that means gives you a little extra uncertainty. And I like I like just knowing that the dollars that are in there are the dollars that I have. That number is not going to change with changing tax policies. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, the the reason I advocate towards a combination of both a traditional and a brokerage account is for the psychological element that occurs when you get to see that money in your account. And again, it, I think the, the biggest takeaway is that you in the Roth, it's the psychological effect of, well, I'm getting this really great tax savings but I don't necessarily see it. And for most individuals, they get to see that money grow simultaneously, both in the traditional and in the brokerage account. And it lets them believe that they actually have more than they have. But you're absolutely right. One of the biggest things that that I had failed to recognize was if you were to elect a traditional IRA, and based on the current rules that we currently have, once you reach a certain age, there's this little thing called an RMD that's going to show up. And again, a lot of these things only come into effect later on in life. And right now, the way it looks, it's about 70 years and a half when you have to take what is known as a required minimum distribution, which is another thing that you have to take into account, which your Roth that you're advocating for does it have an RMD? Paul, I think we're going to need you to weigh in on the Roth IRA versus the traditional. Which one do you like? Okay. Um, on, I, I First of all, I just have to tell you that for, for many years, I've been on the fence about Roth versus traditional IRAs. And I've used traditional IRAs uh, for, uh, you know, f- until this year. Okay. This year, I converted my regular uh, Roth, uh, I'm sorry, my regular IRA to a Roth IRA. So I'm convinced that is the best way to go. When you get older, and I know most of your audience isn't in this situation, but when you turn 72 with a traditional IRA, you're required to take out a certain amount based on your life expectancy uh, that the IRS tells you how long you're going to live. Um, And that is very upsetting to many people that they're forced to take money out when they don't really need it. So it sounds like you think I'm right. Uh, (laughs) It sounds like the only thing that you can do wrong is to not do anything at all. I think that's, I think that's the key takeaway people is the only thing to do wrong here is to not save at all. Uh, A traditional or a Roth, both will serve you extremely well. Both have advantages and disadvantages some people may prefer one. Some people may prefer another. At the end of the day, pick the account that you like, that you're comfortable with, that you understand, that gets you excited to save for your future, right? If you really like seeing your balance grow faster, that, that motivates and excites you to save, then go with the traditional. That psychological power is, is way more important than any potential tax savings from the Roth IRA. But if you're like me and you like the comfort of knowing I don't have to worry about future tax rates because it's already paid in my Roth, then go with the Roth. At, at the end of the day, neither one is bad. Both are excellent ways to save for your retirement. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway of today's discussion is the only thing that you can do wrong is to fail to do anything at all when it comes to saving resources towards a future point. I think that's a great takeaway. All right. So our summary then is if you get a tax refund, A, stock up your emergency fund. After that, B, you could pay off a high interest rate credit card. If those are both taken care of, then uh, open up an account and save it in an IRA, Roth or traditionally the way you really can't go wrong. Absolutely. That concludes our episode on filing income taxes. We'd like to thank Paul Talbot for sharing his expertise as a CPA with us. Be sure to tune in next week when we tackle the question of how to find a job in a depressed economy. Our intro music was written by David Heilowitz.